Please remain standing with me for the reading of God's Word. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of God's gift, of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood." to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Thank you, John. Please keep your Bibles open to Ephesians 4 and pray with me as we look at God's Word. Gracious God, we do thank you that you are not silent, but that you are a God who speaks, and we have the incredible privilege of listening to what you have to say. But we need your Spirit to be able to hear. So we pray, Lord, that you would be with us this morning that your spirit would give us ears to hear and eyes to see you, and that your spirit would be at work in our hearts to apply what you are saying to our lives. Uh, Lord, we love you. We praise you. We pray that your name would be honored this morning. Amen. Well, few things can strike terror into the heart of your average church member than receiving an email from the nomination committee in the fall. If you're not familiar what a nomination committee does in the life of the church, they're the people who say to you, God loves you and we have a wonderful plan for your life. They're, they're the people who you know, have the burden of, of uh, figuring out uh, what role different people might be able to play in the leadership of the church. And, you know, I say that in jest. We have godly, humble people who serve that very important job each year of identifying the right leaders for the right roles. But the idea of church leadership uh, can be scary for some. Uh, It's hard. It's hard work. It takes time. It requires sacrifice. It involves significant responsibility. It means working closely with other people 
And that itself can be a challenge sometimes. It's something that some people are drawn to and some people run in the opposite direction. Uh, It's something that some of us have had great experiences in leadership. And some of us have had downright rotten experiences serving in leadership. Some of us have had great experience working with those who are leading us. And some of us have felt marginalized or neglected or misunderstood or even used. But leadership is an important and unavoidable category for life in the local church. And really, that's true for all of life. But we're thinking specifically right now about the local church. And many of us lead people as part of our service to the Lord, part of our our ministry. And all of us here are led in some way by others. And so as we think about our current series of looking at the gospel for all of life, how does the good news of Jesus apply to different aspects of life? And as we think about where we're specifically at in that series, looking at how the gospel applies to the church, to life in the church, the question that we're after this morning and for the next three weeks, excuse me, the next two weeks, is how does the good news of Jesus shape leadership in the church of christ that's what we're after this morning we're going to look at leadership more generally in ephesians 4 and the next two weeks we'll then look more specifically at the two biblical offices of leadership that are laid out in the new testament on april 26th we'll look at gospel-shaped elders what is how does the gospel impact the call and responsibilities of an elder and then on may 3rd We'll look at gospel-shaped deacons. But church leadership is more than just those two offices. Those are super important, but, but there are a lot of ways that we lead in the church, regardless of whether we hold a specific office. And that's why I want to talk about leadership in general uh, today. And whether you currently serve in a leadership capacity here or not, uh, it's critical for all of us to have a healthy understanding of these things because most of us, if not all of us, will have some sort of leadership role at some point in our walk with Jesus. And even if we don't, we all need to know what Scripture tells us to expect of our leaders and how to interact with them, how to support them and follow them and submit to them how to encourage them and help them and and hold them accountable to what God has called them to do. And so it's an important topic, and and I want to see what difference does the good news of Jesus as our guide, as our power, as our strength, make as we consider leadership in the church. And our guide this morning is Ephesians chapter 4, which John just read for us. Now, there is a lot going on in the verses that we just heard. And we're not going to be able to touch on everything that's there. But I do hope that what we see is that church leadership begins and ends with the gospel of Jesus. Church leadership begins and ends with the gospel of Jesus. It is a gift of God's grace through Christ. It's not something we earn. It's about equipping God's people for ministry not doing all the work ourselves. And it's about making Jesus look good, not the leader. 
In a phrase, biblical leadership should be gospel-driven. It begins and ends with the good news of Jesus. And I want to think first about how, how church leadership begins with the gospel, how it begins with the grace of God. Now, we have landed in Ephesians several times uh, in this series so far, which is appropriate uh, because the overarching question of our series, uh, how, again, the gospel applies to different aspects of life, that's a question Paul's very interested in this book. Uh, He spends the first three chapters of Ephesians kind of laying the foundation of what the gospel is and, and how that shapes our identity in Christ, both individually and as a church. And then he spends the last three chapters applying that good news to different areas of life, to, to our relationships within the church, with the world around us, uh, at home, at work, and so on. And when Paul talks about the gospel, this phrase that we keep using, when Paul talks about that in Ephesians, or, or anywhere for that matter, He's not talking about the good religious things that we try and do for God. That's so often what we can easily slip into when we think about uh, what Christianity is about. He's not talking about the good religious things we might try to do for God. Rather, he's talking about the incomparably great thing that God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. How from before the foundation of the world... God chose us in Christ to be adopted as his children. See that in chapter 1, 3 through 6. How, how God redeems us and forgives us of our sins through the blood of Christ in 1, 7 through 10. How he seals us with the Holy Spirit, claiming us as his own in 1, 11 through 14. And how he does all of this for the praise of his glory. That, that his beauty and worthiness and majesty would be on display through the new people whom he has redeemed and, and in whom he dwells in order to display his beauty and his glory. This gospel in Ephesians 2 tells us that we were spiritually dead in our sins. That we weren't trying to be good. We weren't capable of being good when it comes down to it. We were spiritually dead, walking in a different direction from God. But that we who were spiritually dead, God has made alive together with Christ. Not because we deserved it, but because of his grace. We've been talking a lot about grace in this series. And we'll keep talking a lot about grace because it's central to the good news of Jesus. That that God has given us something wonderful, even though we actually deserve something pretty terrible. We deserve his his righteous judgment because of our rebellion. Instead of that, he gives us love and mercy and forgiveness. He makes us his own. And that good news of what God has done, it's something that we receive by faith. As Paul summarizes one of the classic summaries of the gospel in Ephesians Chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
So that's what Paul means when he talks about the gospel, when he talks about the good news of Jesus. It's not what we do for God. It's what God has done for us in Christ. Okay, great. So what does that have to do with leadership? Now, we're saved by grace through faith. Fine. Okay, I see that. What does that have to do with leadership in the church? According to Paul, everything. It has everything to do with leadership in the church because grace does more than save us, according to Ephesians. Grace also equips us for ministry. It also equips us for church leadership. Notice how Paul describes where his own ministry as an apostle comes from. Look at, look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 2 through 3 with me. As Paul's explaining ministry to this church. He says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. So what he has to share with the Ephesians was made known to him by God's grace. And he says it again in verses 7 through 8. Of this gospel, I was made a minister, not because I was so good and I was really killing it for God. And he saw me, he's like, I want that guy on my team. I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Church leadership is a gift of God's grace through Christ. It's not something that we earn. God didn't entrust the gospel to Paul because Paul had so much potential to be used by God, or even because of his education as a Pharisee. He was the least of all the saints, as he puts it, the least of all God's people. God called Paul to serve as an apostle, as, an, as a witness to Christ's resurrection by his grace. And so he was saved by grace, but he was also equipped and set apart for leadership by God's grace. And when we look at chapter 4 of Ephesians, we see that the exact same thing is true for all of us. Look, look there with me, chapter 4. As Paul begins to kind of apply what he's been talking about in the first three chapters to the church, uh, he, he calls them to, he urges them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling they've received as the church, which requires humility and patience and especially unity. Because there's only one body and there's only one spirit. So as he's applying all of that to the church as a body, he also makes the point and applies it to our individual roles and responsibilities as part of that body. And that's what he's talking about in verse 7. Look at verse 7. He says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift that's exactly what he said about himself in chapter three and now he says that's true for all of you as well that leadership is a gift of god's grace so so what are some of those gifts though what is he talking about in what way does god gift us for leadership 
Paul gives a short list in verse 11. And I don't think this is meant to be an exhaustive list because if you look at 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12 or 1 Peter 4, you see other gifts as well that Christ gives to his church. But, but Paul gives a list of five here, uh, maybe four depending on the relationship of the last two, uh, five that were particularly crucial to the establishment of the church in that first generation. And N.T. Wright gives us a helpful summary of verse 11 and some of these gifts that Paul mentions here. He says, apostles were witnesses to the resurrection. So that's the first gift, apostles. They were witnesses to the resurrection. Since the resurrection is the foundation of the church, the testimony of those who had seen Jesus risen, that was the first Christian preaching. Early Christian prophets, the second gift, spoke in the name of the Lord, guiding and directing the church, especially in the time before the New Testament was written. Evangelists, the third gift, they announced to the surprised world that the crucified Jesus was risen from the dead and that he was both Israel's Messiah and the world's true Lord. Pastors or shepherds looked after the young churches and teachers developed and trained their understanding. So you see, there's different gifts, and they each have different responsibilities with them. Each of them are crucial for the building up of the body, but every single one of them is given according to God's grace. That's the thing that, that ties them all together. They are a gift of God's grace. Our temptation to, is to think that when whatever leadership role we might play or that we might have, we have it because we've earned it, because we're the right guy for the job. We deserve this. That's the temptation we we have. Uh, Maybe we think that what makes a church leader is having a seminary degree or a certain amount of Bible knowledge. Uh, Maybe it's about paying your dues, you know, like starting washing lettuce at McDonald's and then moving up to fries and eventually the cashier. I I start in the nursery and then I do my time with the youth group and eventually I'll make one of the boards someday or something like that. Maybe we think it's because we make large donations. Big donors should have a big say, right? Or maybe we think that, that since we're successful leaders outside of the church, we would make really good leaders inside the church as well. We have all these different ideas of what makes a leader. And the New Testament talks about qualifications for leadership. That's, un, that's important. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about that next week. But Christ does not measure out his gifts according to our capacity or capability or ingenuity or potential. He measures them out according to his grace undeserved favor and love. And he measures them out to everyone, according to these verses. Each one of us has been gifted by God for playing some role in building up the body of Christ. The other temptation we face when we think about church leadership is is just to kind of put people in leadership roles simply because we need a warm body to fill a gap or plug a hole. And, and, and so what happens is that we look for leaders based on the needs of a ministry rather than on how that person is gifted 
and what role they could play in using their gifts for Christ. And I'll be the first to confess, we are not immune from that temptation here. We're trying to grow out of it. Uh, We're trying to work on that. It's one of the reasons that we talk about spiritual gifting in our membership class and and hopefully something that we'll talk about more next fall with with Joe Lombardi uh, doing another class uh, on that topic. But church leadership begins with the gospel. It begins as a gift of God's grace through Christ. It's not something that we earn. And that's the first thing that we see here in Ephesians. But what are these gifts for? So Christ gives these gifts. What are they for? That's the second question. And church leadership is about equipping God's people for ministry, not doing all the work ourselves. That's the second point. When we realize that every single one of us has some sort of gift from Christ, the assumption that we often walk away with is, well, if I don't have that particular gift, then I'm off the hook for that specific ministry. I'm not gifted in evangelism, so I don't have to worry about sharing Jesus with my neighbors or my friends. I'll let the the gifted people in evangelism do that. Mercy, my gift. And so, I'm sorry you've had a rough day. Maybe someone else can help you out with that. You know, uh, you take that to an extreme, and it often translates into the idea that the paid ministry staff are the ones who do all the ministry. And the rest of us just need to kind of show up and put something in the plate to make it happen. That's our contribution. And and this clergy-laity divide has been... That's what we call this. You know, there's the clergy. They're the professional Christians, you know. And then there's the the laity, the lay people, uh, the normal people, and so on. This this divide, it's been perpetuated for centuries. But it is not how leadership works, according to Ephesians. That, That divide. I mean, yes, there are offices of leadership. But that doesn't mean that only those who have these leadership gifts do the work. That's not what Paul's saying here. Christ gives gifts, not so that a few can do the work, but so that all can be equipped and contribute to the building up of the body in Christ. Now, Paul makes that point in a couple of ways in our verses. We see it first in uh, his rather obscure comments in verses 8 through 10. You might have noticed that that the flow of thought moves very seamlessly from verse 7 into verse 11. But Christ has given us gifts, and he gave the apostles, and so on and so forth. And you have this, uh, Paul breaks away from his train of thought in verses 8 through 10 in order to anchor what he's saying in the Old Testament, in Psalm 68. And what he says is honestly rather confusing. A lot of ink has been spilled trying to sort out what he means. But the basic idea is that just as the Old Testament saints gave gifts to God for the building up of his temple at Zion. Now that Christ has come, he gives gifts to us for the building up of God's new temple, which is his body, the church. The fullness of him who fills all in all. And he makes that same point more clearly in verses 12 through 14, that the gifts are for the building up of the body. So, so what are they for? Let's look at, again at 12 through 14. We'll get a running start in verse 11. And Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, 
the evangelists, the pastors or shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So he gives us gifts, not so that the gifted ones do all of the work, but so that we use our gifts to build up the body of Christ, to equip others so that the whole body grows in maturity. In other words, the gifts are not just about doing, they're about training. The gifts we receive from Christ are not just about doing, they're about training and equipping others. If you think about it in in terms of how we raise children, when your kids are young, you end up doing a lot for them. We have you know, two little ones at, at home and, and two in school. Uh, you change their diapers, you dress them, you, you feed them. As they grow, the idea is that they would take on more and more of those abilities themselves. Using the toilet. It's a big milestone. But, you know, uh, making their beds, picking up the room without having to be told, dressing themselves, things like that. But if we continue to do for our kids what they ought to by now be doing for themselves, what happens to their maturity? We stunt it. We slow down the growth. We enable and perpetuate immaturity. And that's exactly what happens when we think of church leaders as those who do all the work rather than as those who equip everyone for the work of ministry. Instead of being a growing family, the church becomes more like an orphanage with lots of little kids and a couple moms and dads who take care of everyone. And and this clergy-laity divide that we've inherited from centuries of church history, that's what that produces in the life of the church. If we continue to buy into the idea that it's a few gifted people who do all the work and the rest of us just kind of help them do it. The gifts are given for the equipping of the people for ministry, not so that those gifted do all the work themselves. Now, to put it in, in, in plain English, my job, and Pastor Bruce's job, and our elders and our deacons' job, is not to do all of the ministries that we have listed in our literature or on our webpage or something like that, but to equip and invest in you all that we would all work together as a growing body serving the Lord in joyful unity and maturity. That's why we talk about in our vision statement about how every member involved in ministry with every sphere of our world as part of our mission field. That's why so much of our emphasis this year is on personal life-on-life discipleship because we want to walk alongside one another in our spiritual growth. We want to equip one another to give our lives away for Christ. And so the question uh, I encourage each of us to think about this morning, how has God gifted you 
for contributing to the health and growth of the body? How has God gifted you for contributing to the health and growth of the body? And how are you using that gift to invest in the body? Now, maybe some of us need help understanding the answer to the first question. How, how has God gifted me? I'm not sure. Uh, if that's you, let's talk. Let's help you figure that out. Um, but even before that, here are a few questions that you can be thinking about if, if you're trying to understand how has God gifted me. The first question is, it's very simple. What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? What is it about church life that burdens you? What, what do you find yourself gravitating toward in the life of the church? What are you passionate about? That's an important question because most likely those passions reflect what God is doing in your heart to equip you for the church. And the second question, what are you good at? What do you enjoy doing? What are your abilities and skills that could be applied in the life of the church? And not just what do you think you're good at, but what do others think that you're good at as well? We don't have to figure this out all on our own. A big part of understanding the way God has gifted us is listening to the body as they affirm those gifts in us or, as it were, redirect us. And so think about those questions. If, if you're trying to understand, you know, I, okay, I see it. It's right there. I can't really deny that. But I don't know what my gift is. If that's you, think about those questions. And if it will help, talk. Let's talk. But maybe some of you kind of understand your gift a little bit, but you feel stuck in the wrong ministry. Uh, and that happens too, especially if programs drive leadership needs. That can happen. You know, maybe, you know, your gift is mercy, slugging it out in the trenches with people who, whose lives are, are hurting, but you don't really have space in your life to be available for that because of all the administrative tasks of the board that you've agreed to serve on. And, and your gifts are just not lined up with your ministry. Or maybe you're gifted in evangelism and, and you could be spending time with non-believers and, and helping other believers grow in their evangelism abilities, but, but your time is taken up by preparing each week for a class that you're, that you're teaching. There's nothing wrong with teaching a class, but maybe we don't have you lined up the right way. So let's talk about that too. We, we want people to understand how Christ has gifted them and to be able to use those gifts for growing the health and maturity of his people. That's super important. That's part of what biblical, gospel-driven church leadership looks like. And the goal of gospel-driven leadership is just that. It's that the body would be built up to maturity in Christ. That's our goal. That's what we're aiming at. It's not work your way up the ladder to a certain executive position. It's that Jesus would look good. That's the goal of gospel-driven ministry, that Jesus would look good, not the leader. And that's the third and last point. Uh, the reality is that some people aspire to leadership for the wrong reasons. Uh, they like being in control. They like the attention that it gets them. 
They think they know better than everyone else and that if they don't have a say, that the orthodoxy and well-being of the church is just going to you know, spin off. And sometimes we treat leaders in unhealthy ways as well. We think they can do no wrong. We think that there's something special about them, that there's some sort of super Christian and, and who deserves special treatment or attention. Or we can take an opposite posture and, and take a posture of suspicion towards anybody who might have authority over me. You know, they can do no right. We're afraid that they're going to abuse their authority or take advantage of us in some way. Maybe we've been burned before and we're not about to let that happen again. But all of that comes out of the idea that leadership is about the leader. Either making the leader look good or making sure nobody thinks the leader is that good. Church leadership, according to Ephesians, is about making Christ look good. That's the goal. That's the point. Again, one author reflects on this. Sometimes when the church debates the nature of the different offices and ministries, you get the impression that these things exist for their own sake. As though the main point of there being a church in the first place was that certain people would be special within it. The opposite is the case. The main point of certain people having special roles is so that every single Christian and the church as a whole may be equipped for their work of service. Again, the goal of that equipping one another for service is that we would grow to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness, not of me, not of you, but to the fullness of Christ, that he would be on display, not us. And so, to add one more question to those I posed a moment ago, as, as you think about what gift God has given you by his grace through Christ, and how you might use that gift to equip others, what is it that you're ultimately after in all of that? Is it because I want to look good as a leader? I want to be respected, and I want people to speak my opinion and my my thoughts on these things? Or is it because I want Jesus to look good? I want to see his people growing in faith and in unity and in righteousness and in love so that when the world looks at us, they see the beauty of Christ in his people. That's my passion. That's what I want. That's what the church is about. That's what Leadership, therefore, in the church is about. It begins and ends with the gospel. The grace of God for the glory of God. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. May that be the mark of our leadership here at Westgate. That's our prayer. And I ask you to pray with us to that end that we would be marked by that kind of gospel-driven leadership in this church. But may it be true of all of us, whatever role that we play.
that we would take seriously the gift God has given us, whatever it is, that we would use it faithfully to equip others to, to, to help Christ's body be built up so that Christ would be big, so that Christ would be beautiful and great, that he would be all-sufficient and all-glorious and worthy of our, of our praise and our submission and our worship, so that through the church, the manifold, incomparable wisdom of God would be on display, not just in this world, but to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's what the church is for, according to Ephesians 3.10. That all of creation would look upon the church and say, wow, what an incredible Savior they have. That is what drives church leadership. May God grant us the grace to be faithful to that end.